0: This morning,
1: I would invite you to turn to Psalm 86, Psalm 86, and we'd like to consider verse 11 with focusing on the last phrase here in this verse that's been on my mind very prevalently these last few weeks. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Psalm chapter 86 and verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth, unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify thy name forever, for great is thy mercy toward me. Thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell, verse 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious Long suffering and plenteous and mercy and truth. O oh, turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give me thy strength unto thy servants, save the son of thine handmaid, show me a token for good, that they which hate me shall may see it and be ashamed, because thou, Lord, hast in me and comforted me. Verse eleven of the Psalm Mysterious, this is a prayer of David, by the way. A prayer of David and he is introduced we hope to look at that today uh, David is introduced both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as a man after God's own heart a man after God's own heart so this is David praying and if you look at the beginning of the psalm bow down thine ear O Lord hear me for I am poor and needy preserve my soul I am holy, O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. So we see here, verse 6, give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. He's uh, David, the man after God's own heart, is praying to God here in this psalm. And one of his requests is, Lord, teach me thy way. Lord, show me the right path for me to take. Show me your will in my life. And he says, I will walk in thy truth. My desire is to follow God's truth. Lord, guide me in your way. I take a lot of comfort in uh, Proverbs chapter 16 and in verse 9 where it says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps, right? We, we, we make a lot of plans. We devise our own way. But many times the Lord directs us in a way that we might not have anticipated. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. And if you have a center column Bible that uh, gives you Some additional alternate wording of the King James translators. Their um, alternate wording for unite my heart is um, give me a singleness of heart, okay? Give me a singleness of heart with the Lord, and if we have a singleness of heart with the Lord, then obviously... God will lead us and guide us, number one, here in the context, to fear thy name, which is to have a reverential awe of God's name. If God's guiding our heart and our heart is in tune with the Lord, then obviously, uh, remember, which is a very important theme that we want to think about today, um, much of our actions, much of our speech is indicative of the condition of our heart, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And that's just not talking about speech. It's not just talking about things we verbalize. But the actions that we undertake come forth out of our heart. So much of the external problems, whether it be uh, inappropriate speech or an an action that is sinful or an action that's inappropriate, much of the external actions are not uh, remedied by just saying I'm gonna stop this external action. No, it has to make a change in the heart for that external action to change, okay? So it's really a heart problem. It's really an internal problem and you have to get to the root cause before you can address the the evidences or the symptoms or the the external manifestations of that internal problem, okay? So, David's prayer, and I, and I believe it's it's our prayer as well. Uh, I think I don't know any child of God that had, loves the Lord and and uh, has a desire to follow Him that, in their cognitive spiritual nature, desires to do the opposite of God's will. Right now, that doesn't mean we always do it perfectly. And David is a great example of that. Man after God's own heart, and he made many mistakes, but his even though it, from time to time the external actions. Uh, were not what they should have been, at least for a period of his life, later on in his life. He made made mistakes all throughout, but obviously the uh, period of Bathsheba is a horrible uh, period in David's life, Uh, and he made a mistake for a period of time, and then he had to deal with the consequences of that. But for the majority of his life, especially in his younger years, we see a... A purity of heart, okay? A purity of heart. And if you remember, Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. This is Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. And there's a very great promise for those that are pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God, right? Now that's, that's true in an eternal sense, right? Because no one can have a pure heart unless they are a child of God and have already been born again. But it is a special thing when we, by the sanctifying grace of God, we can't do it by ourselves. we have to trust in the Lord to do this, but as we make a commitment to sanctify our hearts and sanctify our mind and fill our mind and our hearts with good, wholesome, godly things, and our heart becomes more conformed to God's will and God's word and and we uh, purify things in our own heart. But many times we don't uh, purify our heart the way that I, that we should. So what does God do in, um, in our lives? Many times God will send a fiery trial to purge out some things, some burn away, some dross in our heart. So the purpose that, that our heart can be more pure. God sends Those challenges in our life for a purpose So we can be more perfectly purified And if we are walking in a way that is pure in heart There is some special fellowship That you're going to have with the Lord here in time You're going to see God in a way that Those that are living in sin Are not going to be able to see God I mean do you think that the prodigal son had a very good view of God when he was sitting down in the pig pen? <laughs> no, he didn't see God very clearly. Why? Because there was a lot of things that were covering up a vision of God. But he saw, uh, especially there in that that story, the Father being God, he, he saw um, the Father much more clearly when he made a decision to go back to the Father's house, right? And uh, the reason why he did that was because he had an internal conviction of sin, and he, he repented And he went back to a position where he could fellowship more closely with the Lord. So um, I I don't know of any child of God, especially here in a church setting, um, that says, I just actively want to do the opposite of what God would have me to do. If you've ever chosen that path, or if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, (laughs) as Solomon chose that path, um, it's not going to be very very pleasant for you, right? God, as a loving Heavenly Father, is going to chastise His children to bring them back to the right way. So I don't know uh, if anyone, and I know none of you here today, wants, want to actively do the opposite of God's will. We know it's a struggle. We know that Romans chapter 7, we all have a nature that lends toward the opposite of God's will, lends toward the opposite of of following God's path and God's way, and we have to put that that nature to death and to uh, trust that the Spirit will guide us. But <clears throat> David says here, "Unite my heart to fear Thy name," and that, that's a beautiful thought to think that our heart can be in unity with God. Our heart can be in unity with God. And the man who the Holy Spirit used to pin this is described as being a man after God's own heart. So uh, what does that look like? What does what being a man or a woman or a, a child, a disciple of Christ, what, what does being a uh, disciple after God's own heart look like? Uh, hopefully we can consider some of that together today. But that is... Um, That's kind of a popular phrase in contemporary Christianity today. It seems like I've heard it more on the the women's side, books and conferences and such. How to be a woman after God's own heart. How to be a woman after God's own heart. And the same could be true of men. What does being a, a man after God's own heart look like? It also uses the phrase unite my heart to fear thy name. Unity of heart with God. Unity of heart with God. And hopefully we'll get there if I'm expedient in the way that we approach this. Um, If we are all as members of the church following and pursuing Unity of heart with the Lord, then we will have unity in the church as well, right? You know, um, if everyone in the church is following the direction of the head, then everyone's going to be going the same way. Uh, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and obviously, we know that your brain is not going to send conflicting signals unless there is a real mental problem that you need uh, help with, but if everything's the way, the functioning the way it should in the church, there should not be conflicting uh, messages being sent out from the head. And if we're all submitting, this is Ephesians chapter 4, um, what worthy of the vocation, wherewith you're called, right? And endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit In the bond of peace, if we're all submitting to the Spirit of God, then the church will be in unity, right? Because we know that the head is sending messages through the Spirit never to be in conflict, because God's not the author of of confusion or division. God's the author of peace, right? And peace is the fruit of the Spirit. So if we are all pursuing unity of heart with God, then you will have a special environment in the church and that's what we see in Acts chapter 2 where the Lord is a bl- blessing this church in an amazing way in the establishment of the church you have the 3,000 people added on the day of Pentecost and you have this environment of unity and fellowship where the Lord was adding to the church daily and it says there in Acts chapter 2 that they ate their bread with gladness and singleness of heart well why did the church have singleness of heart? is because they were all in unity at that time as the church was in its first love stage. They were all in unity with God's heart, right? And if we're all in unity of God's heart, boy, that is a special place to be in the church, right? That is uh, an environment that the Lord will just fill His people with His Spirit when we are submitting to God's will and not always trying to do our our own will. And I would say that's, that's probably... Um, there's a lot to be said about this and I'm still meditating on it myself but I I think that that is one of the identifying characteristics of David being a man after God's own heart is he was submitting he was willing to submit to God's will and that is in stark contrast to Saul whose focus was to do his own will okay, to have his own way so David said unite my heart to fear thy name I'd like to go to Acts chapter 13, and then we'll make our way back to the Old Testament, look at the life of David some. Acts chapter 13, and this is in the midst of a sermon that Paul is preaching in his first missionary journey. He's in Antioch at this time, and uh, much of the places that they went um, as they went to uh, cities... As they first arrived, they went to the synagogue first, okay? And they preached before they made their way to the Gentiles. So we see this uh, Old Testament history uh, very prevalent in the book of Acts. We see it with Stephen in his sermon in Acts chapter 7, giving an an Old Testament history of, uh, of Israel and unfortunately saying, you forsook the Lord at every turn. And, uh, and then uh, Paul is preaching something very similar here, giving somewhat of an overview of Old Testament history leading up to the main point of his, of his sermon. So I want to highlight here in Acts chapter 13, and let's jump in here in verse 20 in the midst of the sermon. Acts chapter 13 and verse 20. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of uh, 40 years. So Saul reigned for about 40 years. And when he had removed him, he removed Saul as king. He raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. Now, what is one of the chief characteristics of pursuing unity of heart with the Lord? Okay. What is is the chief characteristic of David here of being a man after God's own heart. I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Okay? Which shall fulfill all my will. And that stands in contrast to Saul, who many times chose to do the exact opposite, but he also had incomplete obedience. He put his own personal spin on God's commandments and tried to give the pretense that he hadn't done anything wrong. But God is looking for God is looking for someone especially in a position of leadership in his kingdom. We see this in a natural sense in the Old Testament, but we see it in a spiritual sense here in the New Testament, too. God is looking for people to elevate in a position of leadership who are willing to submit to his will and not to do their own will. You know, if you think about it, um, and this is a lot bigger topic, um, what are the characteristics of God's heart, okay? Actually, I probably should have led off with this. What what are we talking about when we say heart, right? Obviously, we're not uh, talking about the physical muscle that pumps blood all throughout your body. It's, It's quite a mysterious thing, you know? Uh, we're made out made up of uh, body soul and spirit and somewhere in the middle of the soul and the spirit is a heart somewhere you know Uh, it it describes uh, the innermost desires and intentions and motivations Uh, it says that uh, Jesus Christ being the Word of God can discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart so Obviously, your heart is a place where thoughts and intents occur, right? Uh, it's your uh, your mind's mingled up in there somewhere too, right? Uh, you're supposed to love the guy with all of your all of your heart, soul, and mind. And when it says your mind, obviously, our brain processes thoughts, but uh, your mind is a lot different than just your brain and the the chemical and electronic impulses that that send messages throughout your body. So somewhere out there in the spiritual man, (laughs) right, is a mind and a soul and a spirit and a heart, okay? But it's describing the, the intense and the, the nature of who you are at your core, okay? Um, So when we're talking about the heart, um, we're talking about the spiritual man's, desire and commitment to follow god's will and if you think about that um as we are uh born again one of the depictions of the new birth is god taking away a heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh right okay so first of all when we're talking about a purity of heart um we can't just choose to say well i'm just gonna purify my own heart no our our hearts uh, I think as old Baptists, we all know Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 very well, right? Our hearts are, in our nature, are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Our hearts desire to go the opposite of God's will. And even after we're born again, that's why following God's will is so hard, right? Is we have uh, an old nature that desires to go in the exact opposite direction of where the Lord is guiding us and leading us. So we have a heart in our nature that is Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and God takes away that heart of stone that will only be it can't be pricked it will only be cut to the heart like the people in the book of Acts that gnashed on Stephen with their teeth but after he gives us the heart of flesh now we have the ability to be pricked in the heart right and we can pursue hopefully sanctifying our own heart becoming more pure in heart and those that are pure in heart shall see God. <clears throat> So if you try to think about God's heart and uh, what, what is God's heart, what are the characteristics of God's heart? If we're going to be a disciple after God's own heart, what's the characteristics of God's heart? And I would say that God's heart is revealed all throughout Scripture. Okay, this is just too much for us to, to tackle. Maybe this can at least stir your mind for you to read on it or meditate on it. But we see God's heart revealed all throughout Scripture, right? I mean... Scripture is God-breathed. So everything we have in the Word of God is a picture into God, you see? And just in case um, that's not clear enough for you, what does God's heart look like? Well, it looks like Jesus Christ, right? Uh, You need to read all the Bible, but you especially need to read the Gospels. You you see the, the heart of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, all throughout the Gospels. What's, what, what is the heart of God? The heart of God uh, upholds holiness, right? Uh, he's not going to um, be content with money changers um, making his house a house of merchandise. We see God's heart being revealed when he threw them out of the temple, right? But we also see, so we see the zeal of, of God's heart right there and being casting out the uh, the wicked uh, money changers out of there that had, that had polluted his own house. But then we see the compassion and the mercy and the love of God's heart that's exhibited in him him healing so many different people and, and him being willing to forgive in, in John chapter 8, the woman that's caught in adultery, being willing to forgive him, uh, her, and then say, go and sin no more. So, I mean, we see... Uh, We see the heart of God revealed all throughout Scripture, but we especially see the heart of God revealed in the life of Jesus Christ, right? And that's who we want to follow. We want to follow Jesus and follow his own heart. Um, A few things to highlight. I would say that God absolutely, if you think about the characteristics of God that are described in Scripture, and these are all true, but especially God's heart is a heart of love, right? God is love. God is characterized by love, and God has a heart of love. God also has a heart of holiness, right? Be ye holy as I am holy. He has a heart of long-suffering, has a heart of mercy and compassion. And certainly we need to cultivate all of that by God's grace in our own heart as well. But another thing that Jesus revealed in his ministry is that he was equal with God the Father, okay? We always need to make sure we understand that. He was not a... He's he's revealed as being the second person of the Godhead, but that does not mean that he's second in authority, second in class, anything. He's, he's fully equal with God the Father, but for the purpose of setting an example for us, he still submitted... To the will of God the Father. And one of the things he said, I think it's in John chapter 4, he says, my meat, what, what I live on every day, I, I want to be sustained by meat and drink. What was Jesus' meat? To fulfill the will of his Father, right? That's why he came into this world, to uh, die for our sins, to pay the penalty. So we can live with him is because it was the will of the Father to choose some people before the foundation of the world. And it was necessary for the Father's will to be executed for him to come and die on our behalf. So he was willing to come into this world because he was submissive to the will of God the Father. And you want to know why he was submissive to the will of God the Father, which should be a lesson to us. The reason why he was submissive to the will of the Father is because his, father, his will and the Father's will were one. You see that? He had a unity of of heart with God. He's not, uh, he wasn't, um, you know, sometimes fathers have to tell their sons to do things that they don't really want to do, right? Well, Jesus Jesus was not um, just being ordered by the Father to go down and to die for these people. No, for the joy that was set before him, he was willing to do it. But he he was not just being ordered by his dad to go do it. No, he was willing to do it because his will was aligned with the Father's will. Right? So, one of the chief characteristics of being a disciple after God's own heart is a submission to God's will instead of our will. Okay? Let's go to... 1 Samuel chapter 13, and look at the life of David very quickly. Um, So hopefully you know a little bit of the backstory of how they became the king. We have the period of the judges, and Samuel was a very good and godly judge. But then the people said, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king to reign over us. We're not happy with God being our king, so we want our own king to be like everybody else. And then uh, God says, all right. Sure, I'll be happy to give you a king. This is everything he's going to do to you, and he's going to oppress you. He's going to rob you. He's going to. He's going to be. He's going to be corrupt. And they said, "Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> let's still, let's still vote for him." You know, uh, we still want that king. And then, lo and behold, as God's will and God's, uh, God's prophecy is always is always true, it it played out exactly like God said it was going to play out. He told them on the front end, this is what you're going to get. And for some reason, you know, they weren't all that happy with God giving them exactly what he said was coming. Right. So when we first find Saul, he's very reluctant. He at least gives the, the pretense of humility, whether he was humble or not. I think he was, he says, uh, Samuel, um, uh, rebukes him a little bit later and says, "When you were little in your own sight, is when God elevated you." So there was a period of time when he was humble, uh, but it appears that may not have lasted too long. Um, there's references in the Book of Acts that Saul reigned for about forty years. I was doing some math this morning. I haven't had a chance to bet this out, so you, you bear with me if this ends up being wrong. But just, just bear with me. But uh, Saul reigned for about forty years. Okay. And David ends up becoming the king when he was age 30, okay? And if we say that David was 15 when he killed Goliath, 15 when he was anointed, okay? If that's true, then that means that there was about a 25-year period where Saul was the king prior to David being anointed, okay? So if you'll just kind of bear with me with that for a moment... Because here in 1 Samuel 13, it seems like the Lord kind of uh, gives Saul a really short leash, okay? Um, He is uh, anointed as the king by Samuel, and he gives him a charge to fulfill all of God's will. And then we have this account here in 1 Samuel 13, Uh, Samuel tells him to wait on him. He waits seven days. Samuel was supposed to show up at the end of seven days. And Samuel didn't show up exactly when Saul expected. So then Saul takes it upon himself to do something that he was not allowed to do. Okay. He made the sacrifice that was supposed to be the role of the priest, which was Samuel. He told him to wait on him. And then, of course, uh, Murphy's Law is not necessarily spiritual, but it's also true that immediately (laughs) after Saul finishes the sacrifice is when Samuel shows up, right? That's how things happen, right? You wait just long enough to where you're dissatisfied. You do what you're not supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, that's when Samuel shows up, right? Um, So I want you to notice what, uh, what Samuel tells Saul here. After he had done exactly what Samuel had told him that the Lord had told him to not do, okay? He did the exact opposite of what God's will was, what God's commandment was. Now, as we read this, the reason I kind of give you that hypothetical timeline is because um, Saul is confirmed as the king... And this mistake, is a, it's a bad mistake, right? He should have done it. But to think that the Lord would remove him as the king for one mistake, to me, has always seemed a little harsh, okay? But I feel like what's probably what's more indicative is that this is a story that the scriptures highlight but Saul has probably been doing these type of things for 25 years, okay? He's been doing the exact—he's been doing his own will. He's been doing his own thing. He probably stayed humble for a couple years. But after that, he kind of quit. He, he kind of started ignoring Samuel. He started ignoring the word of the Lord and started doing the opposite of this. And let's just say I don't feel like this is his first strike. We'll just, we'll just say that, okay? But I want you to notice what Samuel says to—what uh, Saul says to Saul here. <clears throat> Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee, for now would have the Lord established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Now, I don't have time to dig into this, but it is amazing the intersection between God's omniscience of perfect foreknowledge of all possible events, not causing everything that happens, but perfect omniscience of every possible outcome. And he says distinctly here that if you would have been obedient, I would have established you as king. But yet it was prophesied way back in, in Genesis that the uh, scepter, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the ruling authority would come out of Judah, not Benjamin. But Saul's disobedience changed who was the lineage of the king, you see? But yet at the same time, it was God's perfect foreknowledge of what would occur that he could say, as He, as it says, uh, I believe in Isaiah, he can say the things that have not yet occurred as if they're already done because of his perfect foreknowledge of what will occur. So don't want to get derailed right there. Verse 14, For now thy kingdom shall not continue. You could have been... uh, Jonathan was a good, godly man. Which, by the way, we're not going to really have time to get into that relationship. But it's amazing the humility of Jonathan to have his soul knit with David and to love him in this amazing, intimate way when... Jonathan realized how sinful his dad was. And based on the, the natural lineage of, of kingly reigns back then, Jonathan would have been the king. You see? Jonathan would have been the king. So he had enough humility to be friends with the man after God's own heart. And by the way, why, would, why, why was Jonathan and David so closely knit Instead of Jonathan just being uh, blindly loyal to his dad, I think it's because Jonathan had, uh, was a man after God's own heart too. You see, I think that's why Jonathan and David were so knit together is because in this ungodly environment here in Israel, you have two men that were pursuing the Lord's will instead of the king's will, Saul's will. Okay? I think that's part of the reason they were so knit together. But Jonathan should have been the king. But his dad was disobedient, so the Lord took that scepter from him. And who was he looking to give it to? You know, uh, here in the New Testament kingdom, God says that if you want to be exalted in the kingdom, the way that you do that is by humbling yourself. You, You don't get exalted by you trying to puff yourself up. Instead, if you show yourself humble, that's who the Lord sees fit to elevate. Because if you have pride, you can't handle Authority. You can't handle success, but the person who is humble can handle it, okay? So, God says, I've removed the kingdom from you. So, Saul, you had everything in front of you. You chose to be disobedient. I'm taking the scepter from you. Who am I going to give it to? Who am I going to give it to? And it says that the Lord sought out, verse 14, the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. You see, that's the whole point, right? I'm not going to leave a person in authority Who is choosing to do the opposite of God's will? Who am I going to put it in authority? I'm going to choose a man who will do God's will. So God says, I'm taking that scepter away from you and I'm going to give it to someone who, which by the way, whatsoever your hand finds to do, you do it heartily as unto the Lord. You want to know why? Because David did not prove himself a man after God's own heart when he was killing Goliath. He didn't prove himself a man after God's own heart when he was doing all these mighty things in the future. You want to know how he proved himself a man after God's own heart? Taking care of his dad's sheep. Right? A very unimpressive ministry field. You know, that's, what, that's the seminary that God sends his people to, right? Uh, we don't send our, our preachers to some college a few states away. You want to know where, where God uh, sends his people to seminary? He sent Moses to the backside of the desert for 40 years, right? He sent David out to his, his, the, the fields of his, his dad's sheep. That, that's the seminary where God sends his people to, <laughs> is a field of service, okay? But I want you to understand that if... <laughs> to whom much is given, much is required. But if you prove yourself faithful in the little things, that's who God sees fit to give more. <laughs> who, where did David prove himself to be a man after God's own heart? And why did he have enough courage to take on Goliath in a very public way with boldness and faith you want to know why it was because he trusted in the lord when a lion and a bear came to try to steal his dad's sheep right he proved himself faithful in the little thing he his faith grew in in what would be a very unobsc- a very a very obscure non-public situation but God proved himself faithful and David learned that God was faithful in these small situations and that made him ready when the God saw fit to elevate him for the national victory of him defeating Goliath, right? But, but David proved himself faithful as a man after God's own heart when nobody was looking, right? And that's what real purity of heart is, by the way, is you being faithful to God when nobody's looking and if you're faithful when nobody's looking then you're not gonna change your character when everybody is looking you see. so now the uh, the 14th chapter the 14th chapter is Saul making this very foolish decision about telling his people you can't eat and then Jonathan comes in and he eats and and you know just one more example of of Saul just making foolish decisions, being a bad leader, and doing the opposite of God's will. Then you get to uh, chapter 15, and God says, these uh, Amalekites are just totally wicked. You go and you kill the king. You annihilate everybody. So what does Saul do? He edits God's commandment, and he says, You know what? I'm going to save the king for political purposes, and I'm going to save the best of the livestock. But you want to know what's so sad? And this is why Saul had to be deposed, was because he had got so distorted in his own mind that he did not realize that he was doing the opposite of what God had commanded. I mean, uh, when, when Samuel shows up, he says, Have you done everything I told you to do? He said, Yeah, I did everything you told me to do. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You did an edited version of what God told you to do. And we do that all the time, don't we? we? We have our own little flavor of God's will. We have our own little flavor of God's commandment. And you want to know what he says here in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15? Uh, of course, Saul, he blames the people. You know, he's just like us, we deflect. Responsibility—it's not my fault. The people said, <laughs> "Guess what? You know the people weren't doing the opposite of what Saul said. They knew if you did the opposite of the king, he'd kill you, right?" They, they, the people aren't doing doing this; it's Saul doing it. But he blames someone else. Surprise, surprise! And you've probably heard these words before. First Samuel chapter fifteen and verse twenty-two. Samuel said, "Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings?" and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. You think the Lord is happy that you saved the, what you deem to be the nicest of the livestock if it's the opposite of what God told you to do? <laughs> Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And then he affirms again, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. You you chose to do the opposite of God's will. You chose to do the opposite of God's commandment. And for that reason, I can't have someone who is continually doing the opposite of my will leading my people. I have to depose you because you're doing the opposite of what I'm commanding you to do. Why is it that rebellion and stubbornness is equated here to witchcraft and especially idolatry, especially idolatry. None of us, I feel very confident, are going home and worshiping any graven image on your mantle. If you are, burn it, get rid of it. Obviously, you need to not worship a graven image, right? Go read the Ten Commandments. But Samuel says here, That stubbornness and rebellion is equal to idolatry. Why? Why? Because you are equating your own will as a higher priority than God's will. And you want to know what happens when you do that? You're saying, I'm choosing to worship and serve myself instead of God. See, that's why it's equated to idolatry. Uh, Most idolatry is not graven images. It's pride and self and me wanting to do what I want to do instead of what God has commanded me to do, okay? Um, we really don't have time to dig into the uh, the logistics of God's will. Uh, what God does is He gives us, he gives, a, he gives us in Scripture a framework, okay, to make decisions, and we need discernment and the Spirit and God's guidance to make decisions within that framework. A very simple example is that God makes it very clear that you are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? You are not to marry an unbeliever. But who is it in the the scope of believers, though? Who is it that you're commanded to marry? Well, that has a a, a large pool you could choose from That's not directly contradictory to God's will And there's a lot of factors that go into that And it takes a lot of wisdom and discernment To know God's will You know, what, what is God's will? In Scripture um, The things that are directly attributed to God's will Are actually pretty simple 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 And everything gives thanks For this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. Back up one more chapter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Don't commit fornication, right? Live in a holy, godly, righteous way and don't do the opposite of God's will. But you're not going to find anywhere in Scripture where it says you individually you take this job, you buy this house, you marry this person, you do et cetera, et cetera. God gives you a framework of guidelines, and then after that, we just have to pray for the discernment and the wisdom of the Spirit for us to make the right decision in the right situation at the right time, you see? And that can be a very challenging thing to do. But thankfully, God said, hey, if you, any of you lack wisdom, ask me and I'll give it to you. God's gonna guide you by your spirit if we are pursuing if we are pursuing God's heart. A few more things very quickly, try to wrap this up. Jeremiah chapter 3 and in verse 15, which is this is amazing, by the way, because this is, this is the northern tribe of Israel that has already been wiped out by the Assyrians a hundred years ago. This is, these are the lost tribes of Israel. Okay? They've already been ransacked by the Assyrians. But he says, Israel, you are in this uh, dormant state. I have sent judgment on you because of your sin. One hundred years removed from even being an a, uh, a active nation. But he says, if you repent, if you repent, even now, Jeremiah chapter 3, and verse 14, Turn, o, black, o backsliding children, saith the Lord. For I am married unto you, I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now, that's, that's a great admonition for us just in general, but isn't it amazing to know that God is so long-suffering? that his nation that lived in rebellion to where he sent judgment on them, where they weren't even a nation anymore, he said, even today, if you repent, I will send you pastors after my own heart. And a pastor's shepherd, by the way, which is one of the reasons why David was proven to be faithful to be the shepherd of God's people was because he proved himself faithful as a actual shepherd, right? Taking care of his father's sheep. And I I hope that uh, The Lord will bless me to be a pastor after my own heart. But especially for you here today, that if you are all pursuing the Lord's heart, then God will give you a pastor after his own heart. You see, God will give you what you need. And to conclude, we'll go to Acts chapter two. And we see this amazing atmosphere of unity in the original church. The Lord has added 3,000 people to the 120 of the original church and you have the steadfast commitment Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 continue steadfastly in the apostle's doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers God will unite my heart to fear thy name verse 43 fear came upon every soul a reverential awe of God and God manifested himself in many wonders and signs but I want you to look at the unity of the church I'll tell you the Lord can can and will do special things to a church that's in unity that are all following the Lord's heart together. Okay? Verse 46, And they continued daily with one accord. See the unity there? The church fellowshiped together. They drew together. They were with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, And did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They had unity of heart because they were all focused, where the the focus should be on, which is the head of the body. You see, they were all in tune with the directions of the head of the body. And look what happens when you have a church that are all in unity of heart with God's heart. Verse 47 praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. See, that's the kind of environment that the Lord will send amazing blessings to. Why? Why? Because we are, to the best of our ability, pure in heart. And what's the promise to those that are pure in heart? They shall see God. (laughs) Don't you think that original church saw God manifested so powerfully on the day of Pentecost? They saw God manifested as there were amazing healings. Now, I understand we're past the period of physical healings, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of spiritual healing that needs to happen in the church kingdom. And there, there can be some amazing manifestations of the Spirit of God when the church is all in this amazing unified state and it's all by us pursuing God's will and not our will. There's nothing that's more destructive to a body than one member choosing to do the opposite of the directions of the head, right? That didn't come from the Lord. That comes from pride. That comes from stubbornness and rebellion. That comes from putting our will above God's will. But when we're all pursuing God's will and God's heart together, we have this amazing environment of singleness of heart with one accord and in unity. And obviously the Lord will see fit to bless when we are all pursuing that together in the church kingdom.
0: We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.